0: All right, now, we... Uh, <laughs> welcome to the visitors who are already freaked out. Good to see you. Um, <laughs> uh, what was I talking about? Oh, uh, <laughs> we uh, finished on a Good Friday. We were reading from the Gospel of Luke about the accounts of this weekend that happened 2,000 years ago. And uh, we uh, finished where it said Jesus had died on the cross And uh, and that's where we want to pick it up this morning. We're now in Luke, the 23rd chapter, uh, verse 50. Now, there was a man named Joseph. He was a member of the council. He was actually part of the council that got together to decide to crucify Jesus. He didn't go along with it, but he was part of that inner circle. He was a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the uh, Judean town of Arimathea. Arimathea, sorry. Arimathea just south of Madison. And he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, Arimathea, going to Pilate. So he goes to Pontius Pilate. He had access because he was one of the, you know, big guys up there. And he asked for Jesus' body. And he took it down, and he wrapped it in linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, getting ready to anoint his body. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. They had to do it all on Friday. They were really, really, really strict on the Sabbath. So they knew if they were going to get stuff together for Sunday, they'd have to do it on Friday night because they can't do anything on Saturday. And they didn't go to the tomb on Saturday because they can't do anything on Saturday. They were a little over the top on that, and uh, and that's where it rested. And they were waiting throughout Saturday. Now they were all very depressed at this point. Nothing had gone as they had anticipated. They were pretty much in a state of shock. They had been with Jesus, and at, to this point, everything Jesus wanted to do, he did. I mean, there was not a sickness that he couldn't handle, a disease that he could not cure um, a storm that he could not calm if he needed to get somewhere and there wasn't the right boat he could walk on the water and there were other times where they did the Bible said they did try to kill him and they would all gather him up you know they're gonna throw him down a hill and stone him but the Bible said he would just walk through the midst and nobody could touch him I mean he was invincible as far as the disciples were concerned uh, they gathered together on that good Friday, or I'm sorry, for the uh, Last Supper, and he told them, guys, one of you is going to betray me. He even pointed out that it was Judas. said, go do what you got to do. He took off. He said, they're going to arrest me. They're going to kill me, but on the third day I will raise again. And I don't think they could just, they couldn't grasp what he was talking What are you talking about? And uh, sure enough, that night they came and uh, arrested him and uh, took him uh, to be tried. Uh, of course, you know, Peter tried to fight him, but Jesus told him to stop. And they followed from a distance. I think they really expected Jesus to somehow break out of the deal. They didn't know. They were, they were following. Uh, to their amazement, he sat through the trial, didn't hardly say anything. Um, then they beat him mercilessly, and he just took it. And they were still waiting for something to happen. He carries the cross. They crucify him. They hang him on the cross. And even at that point, they still were expecting God power to kick in somewhere. Something was going to happen. They couldn't grasp what was going on. They were expecting, you know, God would rescue him, you know, and then they'd destroy the Romans or something. You know, that was They wanted him to be king. When he breathed his last and said, it is finished, and died, they were stunned, blown away. This Joseph of Arimathea took the body, put it in his tomb, sealed it up, and they just waited. And I'm sure they were mortified, they were scattered, they were depressed, they were afraid for their own lives, for all they knew they were coming after them next. Certainly that's the way these disciples were uh, thinking And it was a very, very dark Saturday for these guys. Now, this guy, Joseph of Arimathea, was named after the original Joseph that we read about way back in the uh, book of Genesis. And uh, if Joseph of Arimathea would have thought more like his namesake, I think he would have been a little bit more encouraged. Because if there's something that we see in the original Joseph, is that God oftentimes intentionally lets things get worse before they get better. You say, why is that? I don't know. I suppose there's all kinds of reasons, maybe testing you. I mean, I, I don't know what the deal is, but it's not unusual. We see this throughout the Bible. Oftentimes, things would get a lot worse before they would get better, and then God would show up in a dramatic way. Certainly, this was true of Joseph, Joseph was one of the sons of Israel. His name was Jacob. God changed his name to Israel, hence the children of Israel. And uh, he was the youngest one and was greatly favored by dad, Jacob. And uh, he gave him special attention and gave him a real fancy multicolored coat and all this stuff. I don't know what was what the thinking was I don't know why any parent would do that to be honest with you why would you favor one child over another just love them all right I mean it's not that big of a deal but it says he favored him above the others and the brothers didn't like him which in and of itself isn't a shock most brothers don't like other brothers it's a brother thing Um, (laughs) kind of a sibling thing in general Uh, which is fine the Bible says that brothers are born for adversity. And certainly me and my brothers, you know, all of our siblings, we're rather cruel to each other and, and enjoy it. And uh, if <laughs> you come to our house, man, we're going at each other. We insult each other. We're quite gifted uh, at it. But we, we still love each other. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just what we do. We're brothers. And uh, that's fine. At some point, it can get out of control where you start to actually hate your siblings. And certainly we need to be careful of that. You guys listening to me, don't hate your family, Uh, you young people. You got brothers and sisters. You want to punch them. In fact, you probably do. Uh, But don't hate them, okay? It is what it is. They're your brothers. They're there to irritate you. That's their job. But don't hate. Don't let it spiral out of control. And sadly, in Joseph's case, it was spiraling out of control. And then Joseph has this dream. He has this dream where he's, you know, in this position of authority, and his brothers and everybody bows down to him. And he shares this dream with him. Man, guys, I had this crazy dream. Well, when the brothers hear this, now they really hate him. You arrogant little twit. You think we're going to bow down to you? Not going to happen. And he's just, I'm just sharing the dream, you know, whatever, so... Anyway, as we pick it up in the story, the brothers are out doing whatever they're doing. I don't know what they do, watching sheep or what. I don't know what they're doing. But uh, they see Joseph coming, and they're just really ticked at him. We pick it up in verse 19 in Genesis, the 37th chapter. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come on, let's kill him. Whoa, that's, that's really bad. When You're at the point where you want to kill somebody. This has really gotten out of control. And throw him into one of these cisterns. We'll say that a ferocious animal came and ate him. And then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Well, Reuben, who was the older, he heard this. He tried to rescue him from their hands by changing the scenario. He said, listen, don't, don't take his life. Don't show, shed any blood. Just throw him in the cistern, but don't lay a hand on him. Well, his plan was to come back and rescue him later and, and take him back uh, to his father. So that was the original plan that Reuben had. So he's trying to change the direction. So uh, when Joseph came to his brothers, he just, you know, come, hey guys, what's happening? you know, And they take him and they strip him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing. And they took him and threw him into this empty well, the cistern. It was empty. There was no water in it. Uh, as they sat down to eat their meal, <laughs> these guys are cold, man. <laughs> they throw him in a pit and Let's have a sandwich. And uh, so they're chilling out, eating. And uh, um, as they looked up, they saw this caravan of Ishmaelites coming, you know, from Gilead. They're on their camels, you know. And they they took, I don't know if they were doing that, but it works for me. And uh, they... (laughs) They took him and threw him into the sister... Oh, wait, wait, I missed. I jumped. Oh, no, no, where were we at? Oh, their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take him down to Egypt so they could walk like an Egyptian. And so Judah says, yo, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's change the plan. Let's make this a business proposition. What are we going to gain if we kill him and cover up his blood? I got a better idea. Let's sell him. Ha-ha, <laughs> we'll get some cash out of the little twit. So, we'll sell him to the Ishmaelites. We won't lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. Well, the love is overwhelming at this point. And the brother said, okay, okay, let's do that. Let's sell him. So, when the midnight merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and then they took him to Egypt. Not exactly what Joseph had planned. Now, I don't know what Joseph's thinking at this point is. Is he relieved that he's getting sold? I mean, because he thought, maybe they're going to kill me. Um, Is he screaming and yelling? What are you guys doing? That's what I'd be doing. I mean, obviously, they're not listening to anything he's doing. And now he is a slave, sold into slavery on his way to Egypt. Life is not going the way he had planned. I don't know what happened to the dream. What about the dream? I'm supposed to be in a great position here. People and People bowing down to me. What is going on here? Where is God? Why isn't God intervening? I'll tell you why. Because sometimes God lets things get a lot worse before they get better. See if he'll test us to see what we do with it. Well, Joseph, if he'd have been like a lot of us, would have just whined, complained, ached, cried, and moaned. But he didn't do that. He decided... To make the best of the situation. Now Joseph, the next verse says, was taken down to Egypt. And then Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had uh, taken him there. Joseph makes a decision, you know, if I'm going to be a slave, I'm going to be the best slave I can be. I am going to bloom where I am planted. Even if I'm planted in the mud, I am going to bloom. And he starts working hard. And he becomes the best slave that Potiphar ever had. And Potiphar was so impressed with his abilities as a servant that he decides to make him the top slave. I mean, if you're going to be a slave, might as well be the top one, right? So we read in verse 6, So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, Potiphar did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. (laughs) My kind of man. Now, the next words are very interesting. It says, now Joseph was a good-looking boy, well-built, muy guapo, very handsome. He looked like Jose, the Latin pool boy. (laughs) And after a while, Potiphar's wife noticed the good-looking boy. And then she said to him, Oye, chico, venaka. A lot of people don't know Egyptians spoke Spanish. (laughs) Little known fact. Well, he said, no, 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 lady, leave me alone. Okay, look, I got a good gig here with me in charge. My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. He backed away from the lady, but she wouldn't give up. She kept hitting on the boy. Well, in verse 11, it says, One day he went into the house to attend to his duties. Sadly, he was the only one there. None of the household servants was inside. And she grabs him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Good lesson lesson here for those of you, young people. Do not try to reason with temptation. Run. Just run. Get away. You know, the Bible says we're supposed to pray that we don't fall into temptation. Pray that you don't fall into temptation. The Lord's Prayer delivers from evil. This whole thing's about praying not to fall into temptation. Do you know why you're supposed to pray not to fall into temptation? Because when you fall into temptation, any of us are capable of anything given the right circumstances. It's true. I would like to think it's not, but it's true, even for little old me. We're all. Okay. The minute you think, "Oh, I'd never do that,, oh, I'd never do that." I'm, I'm a too natural person. That's about the time you would do something like that. The Bible says, "Be careful. When you think you stand, that's when you're going to fall. Pride comes before a fall. Pray that you just never get into those circumstances. You get anywhere near those circumstances. Run, just get out. And that's what Joseph did, to his credit. But she got so ticked. Women can get really ticked. Just saying. And she got really mad, and she felt spurned. How dare he spurn me? So she comes up with a story that he tried to rape her. See, I got his cloak here. And she goes to Potiphar and says, This Latin pool boy here tried to rape me. And when his master heard the story, his wife told him, and it was just a story, verse 19. This is how your slave treated me. He was angry. And he took Joseph and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. This is the royal dungeon. Now, this is not Brown County lockup, okay? 5,000 years ago in the king's dungeon, Not a nice place. Miserable. Now, now, even though he was doing the right thing, his life even gets worse. Apparently, it wasn't bad enough to be a slave. Now he's got to be in the dungeon. And oh, my goodness, if he would have had an opportunity to whine, complain, and bellyache. I can't be happy now. I can't be happy. Pastor, I can't be happy. I don't have enough money. I can't be happy my job is terrible I can't be happy my kids are driving me crazy I can't be happy I'd be happy if I hadn't married Satan's cousin (laughs) we all have our reasons why we can't be happy listen to me you can be happy you can be happy even when your life is awful when everything around you all you hear is a big gigantic sucking sound everything sucks and it's just awful Listen to me, if you think your circumstances have to be right before you can be happy, you'll be a victim all your life. You will be a victim. I'm telling you, as a person of faith, sometimes things are great, sometimes things are just awful. Our joy, our peace, our satisfaction doesn't come from our circumstances. It comes from knowing God. Even when things get bad, we can still celebrate. Indeed, we need to. Look, when you praise God when something good happens, whoop-dee-stinkin'-do. If everything's perfect in your life and happy, that's no credit to you. You win the lottery tonight, my guess is you're going to be very happy. You'll be calling all your friends. Make sure you call me. <laughs> we will partay. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. But... What credit is that? You just got millions of dollars. Easy to be happy then. See, the real challenge is to be happy when your life stinks. James writes about it. He says, count it all joy when you fall into miserable circumstances. The implication is to have a party. Call up your friends. Invite them over. We're going to celebrate. Really, what for? My life sucks. When you can celebrate when things are bad and still be happy, that's when God shows up. That's what Joseph knew. And he starts to celebrate. He says, well, if I'm going to be in the dungeon and I'm going to be a prisoner, I'm going to be the best prisoner I can be. It says that while Joseph was in the prison, the Lord was with him, and he showed him great kindness, granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And we find out, in fact, that he does become the head prisoner. If you're going to be the prisoner, be on top. But weeks turned into months, months turned into years, and he's stuck in this awful place. I'm sure it smells horribly. Ode de caca everywhere. It's thousands of years ago in a dungeon. It's an awful, horrid, smelly, disgusting, and who knows what he saw and heard. When the Pharaoh arrested you and threw you into his dungeon. It was not for R&R. It was for torture, death, punishment. And he's exposed to this month after month after month, one year, two years. Where is God? What happened to the vision? What's going on? Well, the Bible tells us that one day Pharaoh has this dream and it just is such a strong, powerful dream and he knows it means something but he doesn't know what it means. So he calls for all the wise men and say, hey guys, this is my dream. Somebody tell me what this means and nobody could tell him what, what it means and Pharaoh started getting really irritated. And the wise guys, you know, they're getting freaking out. The wise guys, that's the mafia. The wise men, <clears throat> not wise guys, uh, were freaking out. So, you know, Pharaoh gets mad. These guys get mad. He's going to kill us all. One of them says, well, you know, I heard about this guy in the dungeon. Apparently, he can interpret dreams. And Pharaoh is desperate, so he reaches to the bottom of the barrel. Okay, bring me the guy in the dungeon, and they go get Joseph. And we read about it. It says, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. But they had to shave him. They had to change his clothes. had to clean him up. Why? Because he reeked. He's been living in the dungeon. on a lot of showers down there. I'm sure it was dreadful. They had to clean him up. He smelled. He was all hairy. Cleaned him up, shaved him. Put some clothes on him and brought him to the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream. No one can interpret it, but I've heard it said that you, when you hear it, you can interpret it. And he does. And it doesn't really matter what it was for our purposes here, but he tells him what the dream means. And look what happens. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. It meant great power. And he dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in a chariot as his second command. He becomes the second most powerful man in the world. And he had people running in front of him as he rode in his chariot, Make way! Make way! Here comes Joseph. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And he did it in a day. Say, Pastor, what about my circumstance? What's going to happen? Don't lose heart. Well, what's going to change? I don't know. But when it changes, it can change like that. Joseph woke up that morning in a dungeon. And by the end of that day, he's the second most powerful man in the world. Gold around his neck. He looked like Snoop Doggy Dog. He had it all going for him. And it all happened in a day. One day. In the morning, living in misery. By the end of the day, the second richest, most powerful man in the world. And sure enough... Soon thereafter, his brothers come to Egypt, they don't recognize him, and they bow down before him. One thing is clear, oftentimes God lets things get worse before they get better. Certainly Joseph saw that, and if Joseph of Arimathea would have reflected on that, maybe he would not have lost heart. But here they are again on that dreadful Saturday, waiting, 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 and discouraged. Why did God let Jesus be crucified? They didn't understand it at the time. Well, we pick it up in Luke, the 24th chapter, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared on Friday. and They went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning, maybe even wearing blue sweet shoes. (laughs) If I was an angel, that's what I'd pick. And in their fright, the women bowed to their faces to the ground, and the men said, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen, and it begins. And they go and they tell the disciples. Soon Jesus reveals himself to the disciples. He enters heaven. They go into all the world, and they start preaching this message that we are still preaching this very morning, that nothing is impossible with God. No matter what your circumstances, even death itself is no hindrance to God. God can do anything. That's the message of Easter. Even your circumstances, though they might look hopeless, do not lose hope. Say, Pastor, I'm suffering. I understand, but don't, look ho- don't lose hope. And don't you know? It's oftentimes as pastors, people will come to us and we encourage them, and they just keep fighting. So, well, but you can't because this is, and we have this happening. But you don't understand that, and this is horrible. It's, oh, it's horrible. And it's like they fight trying to have hope. Don't fight having hope. Trust God. Celebrate his goodness, even when things are bad, because it's when you celebrate when things are bad that God shows up and starts changing your circumstances. If you could just learn that one lesson, I promise you, listening to me right now, it would change your life. We are too much servants to our circumstances. And if you become a servant to your circumstance, you'll be a victim all your life. We've got to learn as people of faith. Praise God when things are good, but even when things are worse, praise Him even louder. Be strong. Don't hope. Don't, Don't lose hope. Don't give up. Hang in there. What's the worst that can happen to you? You die and you go to heaven. You win no matter what. The message of Easter is even death, even in death. We still have hope. We never lose. We have a God who can do anything. And that's why we celebrate and praise him this day. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never truly encountered the risen Christ, let me challenge you today. Open your hearts. Receive Christ into your life. You see, the one thing to know about him is another to actually know him. And that's why we're here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace of God that you just, Displayed when you allowed Jesus to go to that cross to die for the sins of the world. But your incredible power was displayed when even in death, Christ triumphed. Lord, we thank you for your mercies. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to realize that even when we're trusting God, sometimes things will get worse before they get better, but we never need to lose hope. Because even when things seem totally dead, That even in death, you triumph. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.